This is Out of Office for December 2014. Nine things successful people do differently. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. G'day, Gihan. How are you going? Hello, Chris. I'm really well, and oh, happy birthday. Uh, thanks. It was a week ago or so, but yeah, I know, thanks. I know, but this is my way of uh, remembering it without having to go to the awkward process of having to buy you a gift. <laughs> right. So that means I'm not getting a Christmas gift either. You guessed right. So yes, Christmas is coming up. Have you got plans? I have a very quiet family Christmas. Uh, lots of families, lots of uh, eating and uh, lots of uh, just hanging out, with, hanging out with family and friends, really, which is really nice. It's a nice way to do Christmas in Australia. And it's a nice, uh, beautiful time of the year as well to do that. It is, and uh, yeah, that sounds very traditional, Giha, and I'll be doing similar things and having three weeks off as well. And speaking of traditions, Giha, uh, this time of year, or January in fact, is generally when people sit down and start planning their goals for the coming year, but that kind of doesn't work. That's so last year because these days the world changes so fast that uh, your goals can quickly become irrelevant and it's easy to get sidetracked by other priorities. So... There's no reason why January is any better than any other time of year to set goals. Yeah, exactly right. And I think instead of setting 12-month goals, which is the way that is traditionally been done, I think a much better thing you can do is to set three-month goals or 90-day goals because things don't change so much around you in 90 days. So you can set a goal knowing pretty well that in three months' time that goal is still relevant. And also it's easier to plan out three months ahead. And in fact, I like to think of this sometimes as a 90-day project rather than a 90-day goal. So when it comes to goal setting, Gihan, that's what we're going to talk about today. And our book is based, well, our, our podcast is titled Nine Things Successful People Do Differently. And it's based on a book by the same title uh, by Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson. And it's all about goal setting and how to achieve your goals. And it's similar to, well, it's, it's, a bit more um, advanced than t tools like SMART goal setting. Well, SMART stands for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Relevant and Time-Bound. Um, so it outlines a fairly simple, uh, a good goal setting strategy that's actually backed by some solid scientific research and it gives you nine different things that you can do to be more productive and achieve your goals. And it's a relatively easy read. Uh, I bought the book on the Google Play Store. I think it costs six or seven bucks. Um, it's only a hundred or so pages and you can get through it really quickly and it's uh, a good investment for your Christmas reading list. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, Chris, it's based on some solid scientific research into goal setting. So if you've, if you've been the sort of person who's set goals in the past but been frustrated about not being able to achieve it, for a few dollars, you can do that. And uh, actually even for less if you listen to the rest of this episode. <laughs> but we do recommend you buy the book. Absolutely, we do. We do. It's a really, as you said, Chris, it's a really easy read. And it's an interesting read because if you're interested in some of the, the research into social psychology behind goal setting, it's, a, it's an excellent book. And what we're going to do is we're going to work through those those nine things that Dr. Grant Halverson recommends. Um, and in each case, uh, where we can, we're going to talk about, or well, Gihan, you're going to talk about the research that backs these up. And I'm going to talk about some of the practical advice that you can use uh, in terms of your goal setting. Yep, exactly. So let's look at these nine things. And we've broken them down into three sets of three. And, and the order we're doing them is not the same as in the book. But we think it's really useful because the first three are about setting your goal. The next three are about what you do to plan the path forward. And the last three are about obstacles that can get in the way. So let's start with the first part. The first part is um, getting ready, like defining your goal. And this is about 
actually defining what the goal is. And in this way, in this set of three, it is pretty similar to other goal-setting processes like SMART. And in fact, this, the first one is the S of SMART, which is to get specific. So the best goals are specific goals uh, rather than vague goals. Yeah, and so as as the thing says, uh, Heidi recommends that you get get specific so that you deter you define your goal in terms that you know when you've actually achieved it. So if you've got a goal that is um, say lose some weight, that's a fairly vague goal as opposed to say lose drop five kilos. Or if it's get fit, that's a fairly vague goal. But if you want to complete the city to surf in under an hour, that's a very specific mm -hmm. and difficult goal to achieve. That was the other thing, Gihan. I think the the we might talk about this later, but the goals also need to be more than just simple. They need to be actually something that's worthwhile achieving. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's easy to achieve them, but you don't really feel satisfied. That's right. Like gain some weight. That's something <laughs> I could do with it. You could. Uh, a second step is to perform what uh, Dr. Grant Halverson refers to as mental contrasting. And this is where you think about uh, some of the positive um, aspects of achieving your goal. So visualize uh, what it would be like to achieve the goal and some of the positives that arise from that, as well as think about some of the negatives. So some of the obstacles that lie in your path towards achieving a goal. So think about those things in advance. And this creates a necessity to act. So once you've visualised some of the positives, that's kind of motivating you towards acting on achieving your goal. But also think about the obstacles, gives you a way of planning a path around those obstacles. So think about what obstacles lie ahead of you and what you might need to do in order to uh, work around them or overcome those obstacles once you encounter them. Yeah, great. So that's the first bit, just being specific. And the second one is to focus on what you will do, not what you won't do. And there's a really interesting study that Dr. Grant Halverson and some of her colleagues did, where she had groups of people uh, doing, a, doing a series of exercises, and they were paid for doing it. And they had one group who was paid $4. Uh, they're, they're told they're going to get paid $4 if they complete the exercises. But if they score more than 70%, then they get an extra dollar. And the second group was told you'll be paid $5 for completing it. But if you score less than 70%, then you get penalized a dollar. And if you do the maths, you find out exactly the same. So you get $4 if you get 70% or below. You get $5 if you get higher than that. But they found that the first group, the one that were rewarded, were much more likely to, to succeed. And in fact, halfway through the experiment, when they stopped both groups and said to them, oh, you look, to, you look you're doing really well. You're on track to get your uh, above 70%. The second group got more stressed and anxious because they now were closer to the possibility that they might actually uh, lose that extra dollar. So um, the idea was, uh, or the purpose of the experiment was to test whether people are more motivated by moving towards things or away from them. And sure enough, they found that you're, you're more motivated, more successful if you focus on what you will do, not what you want to do. Yeah, and in fact, I think there were three strategies that uh, Dr. Grant Halverson investigated. So there's the the what you will do, um, what you won't do, and there was kind of neutral. And the what what you won't do ones were like a penalty. They were even worse than um, doing nothing. Mm -hmm. So definitely, she called them using replacement strategies. So Dr. Grant Halverson uses these if-then plans. Uh, as a way of putting her various tips uh, into practice. So you've got, uh, if a particular trigger occurs, then you perform a particular action. And, and many of her strategies involve that. And that's familiar to us. Gihan and I both have a background in computer science. And if then is a big part of computer programming. So it's a bit like programming your own brain. So for focusing on what you will do, 
when you create an if-then plan, the idea is that you create an if-then plan that replaces that negative behaviour with some kind of positive behaviour. So a concrete example of that might be if you find that you take on too much work, if people offer you projects and you always say yes to that project and you find yourself overwhelmed, then you can create an if-then plan along the lines of if I'm offered a new project, then I'll think about it for 24 hours. So what you're going to do is you're going to give yourself some time and space to think about new work before you take it on. Yep, exactly. And this is especially valuable for goals, which are where you're trying to replace or eliminate some some bad habit that you've got, like the, like the one you just gave, Chris. Or if you say, um, I'm going to eat less chocolate rather than that, focus on what you will do, which is I'm going to eat healthier food, like I might yeah. eat apples instead. Great. Okay, so the next one is related to that. Oh, and by the way, we'll come back to if-then planning later because it's mm-hmm. quite powerful. We'll talk about that a little bit later as well. And the third one, is the third thing that successful people do differently is that they're uh, optimistic but realistic. So it's be a realistic optimist. And again, we can talk about a study that was done where they looked at uh, overweight women who were going on a weight loss program and they surveyed them beforehand and they asked them a number of questions. And one of the questions was, do you think that you'll succeed? And some believed that they would, some believed that they wouldn't. And another question was, do you believe it's going to be easy or challenging? And some thought it would be easy and some thought that it would be difficult or challenging. And the ones who succeeded were, A, the ones who believed they would succeed, so they were optimistic, but also the ones who believed that it would be challenging, so they were realistic. So the idea is that it's very easy on New Year's Day to wake up uh, with the hangover and say, oh, I'm never going to drink alcohol ever again. <laughs> but that's not realistic. So it's great to be optimistic and to set yourself a challenging goal but be realistic as well yeah so when it comes to putting this into practice there's obviously two halves so there's the be optimistic side of things and that uh, the way that you can do that is if that you find your uh, confidence is waning or that you're being challenged to motivate yourself reflect on some of your past successes so if you've had successes of a similar nature in a par- in the past then you can use that as a way of boosting your confidence once your hangover's cleared for instance um, and that's the the being optimistic side of things temper that with some realism so part two is being realistic and that involves thinking about some of the obstacles that lie in your way and how you might overcome them once they're encountered. So you've given some forethought to some some of the obstacles that you might uh, find blocking your path. When they actually occur, you've already thought about them and you have strategies for dealing with them when they come up. So, uh, for instance, if you find yourself uh, out shopping uh, and you're tempted to, uh, to uh, visit the alcohol section and buy uh, cheap booze, then uh, if you think about that in, in advance, that obstacle can be blocked by... Uh, ensuring that you avoid that aisle when you go to the shops. Yeah, great. And in fact, we're going to talk a lot more about that when we get towards the end, when we talk about um, things that could get in the way of your goal setting. So great. So we've done the first set, Chris. And the first set is all about defining your goals. And in some ways, there probably isn't much that's new there. This is what many goal setting processes have done in the past, which is just really define really clear, compelling Um, challenging goals that will make you happy when you achieve them. But it's now these next six that are the ones that really set this goal-setting process apart from many others that I've come across. And the next three are about planning your path ahead. So assuming that you've set a really good goal, how do you now plan for the next 90 days and the next three months? The first one is to seize the moment to act on your goals. And uh, let me again tell you about a research study that was done. There was uh, some students who were told by their lecturer before they went on their Christmas holidays that they could earn extra credit 
if they wrote an essay about what they were doing over their Christmas holidays and emailed it to him during the Christmas break. Uh, so they had a deadline to send it in during the, uh, before, the end of the, before the end of the year, uh, but they had to do it while they were on holidays. Now, that's one group was told just that, and the other group was told that, but also they were asked to imagine at that time when they would set, a time, set, set aside time to work on this. Uh, that's all they had to do, just imagine it. They didn't have to put in their calendar. They didn't have to commit to their lecturer. They weren't going to get a reminder from the lecturer. They just had to think about it. And that group was more than twice as likely to hand in their essay. Um, it was around about 70% of them did it, compared with 30% of the group who didn't actually imagine it. So plan for when you're going to work on your goal and do the planning now. Yeah, that's a significant result. You know, it's twice as many uh, achieved their goal through that simple application of uh, what uh, Dr. Grant Halverson calls these if-then rules. They're really powerful. She uses them a lot in terms of putting her nine um, her nine tips into action. So, as I mentioned before, these if-then rules are about if a particular trigger occurs, so when and where perhaps could be the trigger, then a particular response or action is performed. And when it comes to this seize the moment piece of advice, um, then create if-then rules for particular critical actions. So in this particular experiment that you talked about, Gihan, it's about creating an if-then rule, so when might you work on that particular Christmas assignment that was set for you. But you could have other ones if it's about getting fit, then create an if-then rule, something along the lines of when I get up, when I wake up, then I'll go for a run or when I wake up I'll go then I will go to the gym so that's uh, critical actions the other aspect of creating if then rules is to consider obstacles or distractions that might get into that might be getting in your way and as I mentioned before uh, the more powerful version of these um, these rules is to use replacement rather than negation as we as we mentioned previously so for instance um, uh, I might create an if then rule that if my landline rings, then I'll let it go through to my answering machine rather than allowing it to distract me and picking it up. And one of the things about these if-then rules is that they, they're kind of putting a mechanical process around something that you think, oh, I should be motivated to achieve my goals. But actually what you're doing is you're just creating a very simple rule for yourself, which has nothing to do with motivation. It's just creating a mental rule. And it could be completely unrelated. It could be, you know, it could be something like um, every as soon as I brush my teeth in the morning, that just reminds me that I have to go and say something nice to my family. You know, if, if one of your goals is to be kind and to create a better relationship, you may just create a simple rule like that, which just triggers in your mind, okay, one thing leads to another and they don't have to be related. All you're doing is you're trying to create a new habit for yourself. Yeah, and I think the experimental psychology behind that, Gihan, is that it, they almost become subconscious. Once you've created the rule and put it into practice a few times, it does become uh, a trigger that occurs subconsciously, like you're brushing your teeth. Oh, I'm going to compliment my wife after I've spat out my toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it, it sounds trivial and it sounds superficial, yeah. uh, but that's the whole idea of it is that it, it's something that becomes automatic for you. Exactly right. Okay, so the next thing, we, I think we have to number five, the fifth thing that successful people do differently is they know exactly how far they have left to go. And again, I can talk about a research study where two groups of people were given problems to solve and about halfway through, they were stopped and they were told about their progress. And one group was told, you've got 52% left to go. And the second group was told, you've done 48% so far. 
Now, again, if you did the maths, you found exactly the same, 52% left, exactly the same as 48% done. And what they found was that group one was far more successful. The people who were told how much was left to do were far more successful than the ones who just were told how much they'd done. Yeah, I find this an astonishing hack, Gihan, because the rational part of you says, well, there's no difference, so why should that have a measurable effect on, on outcome? Um, and yet it does. The, the experimental psychology shows that it does. But when it comes to putting this into practice, um, then what you're talking about is, is self-assessment. So the first step is, to do, is that you need to do some self, well, you need to perform some assessment. So you need to decide the frequency with which you're going to assess your progress. Um, and that will really depend on the duration of what you're working on. So that's going, it, it really will vary. You just have to choose something that's appropriate for the goal that you're trying to achieve. I mentioned self-assessment. It might not necessarily be the case that it's appropriate for you to self-assess. You might need someone like your manager or a colleague, um, someone who's external to do that, that uh, assessment for you. So decide who's going to perform the assessment, whether it's you or someone else, and also what it is that you're going to measure in order to assess your progress. So it could be you know, uh, progress on uh, completing a project or it might be something like your fitness or, or any number of things. Um, and then create perhaps use if-then rules or some other or set reminders in your calendar to actually remind you to perform the uh, the assessment itself and then the final and critical part of this uh, putting this into practice is to use this to go thinking to keep yourself motivated so when you do the assessment focus on what remains to be done uh, in preference to what you've accomplished already and it's that that critical difference that um, that yields the greatest motivation for achieving goals I think it's worth saying that there's nothing wrong with celebrating milestones along the way. It's just that if that's the only thing that you do, then it's very easy to rest on your laurels and just focus mm -hmm. about what you've done rather than thinking about what's left to go. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and the next one is kind of related because this is also about progress as well. But uh, in fact, this is one of the key principles that she talks about in the book. And the sixth thing that successful people do differently is to focus on getting better rather than just being good. And again, one of the studies that, that she quotes in the book uh, was about salespeople who were given kind of challenging targets, new targets for the coming year, and they were asked how they will go uh, towards achieving them. So some salespeople said, my goal is to achieve my targets. That sounds pretty normal. Um, some others said, my goal is to learn to be better at selling. And surprisingly, what they found was that the second group, even though they weren't focused on the targets, but they were focused on getting better, they actually achieved the better results. Uh, and I think this is very this is very useful, especially when you've got a challenging, complex or difficult goal where you don't exactly know the path to it. It's better to focus on the getting better bit on your know, progress rather than always focusing on the outcome. Uh, so recently, Chris, I had an example of this because my nephew Riley is getting some cricket coaching at the moment and his coach is helping him improve little bit by bit. Now, Riley wants to be a test cricketer playing for Australia sometime in the future. And he's actually been coached by Mickey Arthur, who was Australia's cricket coach and South Africa's cricket coach during the heyday of their success. Um, but Mickey Arthur isn't always isn't continually telling Riley, you need to do this to be playing test cricket for Australia. He's just telling him how to improve little bit by bit, like get his shoulder to the line, play through the ball, do all these little things, because it's more about getting better day by day and uh, every shot he plays rather than trying to focus on a, on a goal that's not unattainable, but is so far in the distance that it's impossible to make any progress to it if all you do is you focus on that goal. Yeah, very good. And I'm um, sure... I'll see him one day pulling on the baggy green cap for Australia. Yes. 
So yeah, when it comes to putting this particular tip into practice, uh, there are three steps. The first is to just give yourself permission to fail, especially when you're embarking upon a project that's going to be difficult or un unfamiliar. If this is new territory for you, there's no way you're going to be good at it from the get-go. So you have to allow yourself some latitude in terms of making mistakes uh, and not doing an absolutely perfect job the first time. Secondly, if you find yourself struggling, then lean on the expertise of your colleagues and those people around you who might be able to mentor you or give you some advice. They're probably going to respect you more if you do ask them for their support. You recognise that, that, that they've got these abilities that can help you uh, rather than just struggling on in silence and not leaning on them. And finally, the, the, the critical part of this is to compare your progress to your past performance rather than to others so that you can see whether you're improving, that you are improving, rather than, oh, am I as good as so-and-so? Okay, so that's the second set of three. So we've done six out of the nine things that successful people do differently. The last three are all also about what you do along the way, but they're about obstacles and things that might get in the way. And this is one of the things that derails a whole bunch of goal setting, is that you might start off when you do your planning and your goal setting, uh, knowing, having a very clear path. But then life gets in the way. So we've already talked about the fact that you can help by creating a 90-day goal rather than a 12-month goal. But there are some other things that you need to do as well within those 90 days. And the first one of those, which is number seven in our list of nine things that successful people do differently, is to have grit or persistence or determination. And, and this is one of my favorite research studies quoted in the book. Uh, it was about American educators who found out that the the Asian kids in their in American schools tended to do better than everybody else. And they've wondered why that was the case. And I know this is true as well in Australia as well, um, that Asian kids tend to do better academically. And so they did this study, and this is not about whether academic results are all that matters or whether kids should be pushed into academic things, but I, I really like what this study found. So they asked the parents of kids, why didn't your kids do well on this particular test? And the American parents uh, had, th these were their top four reasons. Um, they weren't smart enough, they didn't have good teaching, they were unlucky, or they didn't work hard enough. And when they asked the Asian American parents, why didn't your kids do well in this test? Uh, these were their top four answers. Uh, they didn't try hard enough, they didn't try hard enough, they didn't try hard enough, or they didn't try hard enough. Um, and again, I don't want to make any commentary about whether that's good or bad that they were pushing them, but it definitely was the case that Asian parents say that success comes from grit, persistence, and determination. Yeah, so Karen, when it comes to putting this piece of advice into practice, the key thing here is to identify something that perhaps you're not good at, good at, but then challenge the idea that you're just not good at it and there's absolutely no way that you can achieve that particular goal. Challenge that idea and remember that you can actually improve things through effort and persistence and uh, and determination. So through grit, if you if you just apply yourself uh, repeatedly, then you can improve. Okay, so having grit is one thing, but you can do things in your environment that can help you as well. And the eighth thing that successful people do differently is that they don't tempt fate. So they, they stay away from temptation. Yes, so that sounds, uh, sounds like something from the Bible. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, research, the research shows that um, uh, it's far easier simply to go, go cold turkey 
than just cut down. So rather than saying, well, I just have a little bit of uh, Christmas pudding, <laughs> avoid it altogether. It's, it's, it's easier um, than just having a little bit of a bad thing. Um, also, you can just avoid temptation by simple hacks like keeping bad food out of your refrigerator. So when you go shopping, make sure you buy fruit and veg and don't buy junk food and biscuits. Or don't install game apps on your smartphone and just uh, remove that temptation from, uh, from you being able to access it. And finally, you can uh, perhaps create a penalty like social shaming. It sounds definitely like something from the Bible, you know? <laughs> just with a modern twist. So uh, if you've got – there are particular apps that you can install that will share your progress on social media so that uh, people can see whether you're making progress or not. For example, there are fitness apps which allow you to share your progress with your friends. And that, can, that works both ways because it helps motivate you and your friends can cheer you on when you're doing well. But it also motivates you to keep going because you know that your friends are going to see your progress. And even if they don't blame you or criticize you and even hold you accountable, it's partly that you're sharing it uh, that, that makes you, that keeps you on track. Yeah, that's right. That's a, a subjective opinion, isn't it, Gihan? People probably paying no attention at all to what you're doing on social media. Yes. But you've got, you have that um, subjective position where you think, oh, well, lots of people can see this, so I need to keep my game up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Another example of this is that uh, some years ago, a friend of mine who was working towards a goal that she, she, had, she had challenges with and she knew that she had been tempted in the past to get distracted, she started off by giving me a check for $1,000. But the check wasn't made out to me. The check was made out to her ex-husband. And the idea was that if she didn't uh, achieve her goal, I was instructed to send off that check to her ex-husband. And that was enough of a motivator for her, a negative consequence for her to stay on track. <laughs> so she, cre she created for herself a negative consequence. And uh, I mean, applaud her for doing that because uh, she realized that she would be tempted unless she created a, a strong enough motivation. And so she created this. She invented this negative consequence of not achieving the goal. Okay, and so we have to the last one. The ninth thing that successful people do differently is they build their willpower muscle. So the latest research shows that uh, willpower is like a, like mental, um, it's a mental muscle, just, just like a physical muscle. Um, so, and I love this, again, this research study that was done where people were told that they're going to be solving some puzzles. But before they did that, they were they had to fill in a long demographic survey and it took quite a long time to fill in. And they split these people into two groups. And so the first group were put in a room to fill out this long survey and in the room was a, a bowl of chocolates. But they were told that, oh, those, those chocolates are for somebody else. So while you do, um, if you get hungry, there's a bowl of radishes here and you can pick up one of those and uh, have a chomp of it if you're getting a little bit hungry. But don't eat the chocolates, they're for somebody else. Uh, group two were again asked to fill out the survey, and again there's a bowl of chocolates, but they were told, oh, look, if you, if you feel a bit peckish uh, while you're doing this, just help yourself to one of these chocolates. And then later, they were all taken into a room and asked to do these puzzles, which were quite difficult, and in fact some of them were impossible. And they found the first group, the ones who had to um, exercise willpower earlier, they gave up sooner than the second group, because they kind of they used up all their willpower in the first room, and they didn't have enough of it left later, to to exercise and what they really needed to do. Very good. Yeah, so that, that's a great example of how willpower is very much like a physical muscle. So 
it's, it can be depleted, so using it can can wear can wear you out and can weary it. Uh, but at the same time, just like a physical muscle, if you exercise it, then uh, you can build it up. You can strengthen your willpower. So when it comes to putting this into practice, make sure that uh, you take rests, so that when your willpower is depleted, then then you can allow it to recover. Um, also, just work on one major challenge at a time. So something that I tend to do is um, I do my important work first thing in the morning. So um, uh, before lunchtime, I do my project work. And then after lunch, I tend to do the more mundane tasks that require less focus and persistence uh, because I know that in the afternoon, I'm going to be tired and that my willpower for ignoring distractions and those sorts of things will have been depleted earlier in the day. The other way of boosting your willpower uh, to improve your recovery is to use rewards and inspiration. So uh, Dr. Grant Halverson, uh, as a matter of inspiration, she said she used to think about her, her, her mother, who was always an inspiring character and a woman of uh, great fortitude. Uh, so you can do likewise. You can think about whoever it is that uh, happens to be uh, an inspirational figure for you, or you can just you know reward yourself in some way, um, whether it's taking a break and checking out social media, just something that allows you to recover a bit. And finally, the, the, the other side of this is to exercise your willpower muscle regularly so that it incrementally improves. So work up to your big challenges by making small advances. So we've talked about these nine things that successful people do differently. And uh, I, I love this process, Chris. I really do find it useful, powerful and effective. And I've, I've started doing it myself. I've, for the things that I've started doing, it's been really, uh, it's been worthwhile because I feel like I'm doing it for just three months. I've got a goal that I've set for three months and I've got these nine principles that I can apply to it. And uh, with a three-month goal, it's fairly easy to plan out the three months in advance to do the sort of things we're talking about, create those if-then rules, focus on what's, what we've got left, uh, see I'm making progress every day as I'm working towards them, um, find out the obstacles that are in the way and uh, foresee them and figure out how I'm going to work through them. So I find it a very effective process and I hope that everyone else does as well. Yeah, yeah, I do too, Gihan. And I, uh, we've given you a taste of it. But I can recommend that um, uh, on your Christmas reading list that you do buy Dr. Grant Halverson's book. It's you know it's six or seven bucks if you buy the ebook version. It's a small a small fee to pay for a really big investment. Um, if if you've already read it or if you think you've got enough value from this particular podcast about it, then well maybe you could buy uh, some of the other books that we've reviewed this year. So. Uh, on the Out of Office um, Out of Office Book website, you'll find an earlier podcast this year where we reviewed a couple of out, other Out of Office books and also TikTok. So they're also really good reads that you might consider reading over the Christmas period. Any other books people should read, Gihan? They should definitely read our book, Chris. Of I course, think that's the right. One, the other one I recommend. Uh, and you can get that at outofofficebook.com. So the book's still available, as well as all the past episodes of our podcast and our regular blog, because we regularly blog about things that we see out in the world about the out-of-office work style. So we yeah, recommend going to outofofficebook.com, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the blog, and get a copy of the book as well. Excellent. Well, thank you, Gihan. Thank you for your time. It's uh, been interesting and informative as usual. Um, and thank you to our audience. We wish them a safe and happy Christmas period. And we'll be back in 2015 with more of the Out of Office podcast. So I'll speak to you then. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And uh, I'll, add, I'll add my wishes for a safe and happy Christmas for everyone and uh, a great 2015. <laughs>
Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book, Out of Office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.